Well, today we're going to venture into Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, as it's called, or the Hall of Fame of Faith. We have numerous examples of men and women from the Old Testament that were faithful in the midst of delayed fulfillment of promises and through trials and difficulties. And he's speaking to these people who were going through persecution for their faith. We read about it in the previous chapter. Uh, Look at verse 35 of chapter 10. This should be ringing in our ears as we read chapter, uh, the first few verses of chapter 11. He says there, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. They, they knew the promises of God, and they lived in light of those promises, but it was becoming difficult. They weren't enduring. And then he quotes a couple of Old Testament passages. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He's encouraging them to keep their confidence in the Lord and in his promises, to endure to the end and see the fruition of those promises. He's encouraging them to live by faith, and that's what we're going to be exploring here today, where the writer of Hebrews talks about faith and gives us examples of faith. And we read here in verses 1 through 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, Thomas Manton was an English Puritan preacher in the 1600s. He was highly thought of as a preacher. He filled the pulpit at St. Paul's Covent Garden in London. And he preached through many scriptures, but he famously preached through Hebrews 11, that chapter, 65 times. And he only made it to verse 31. And this is the book that you can get. And the writing is pretty small. I'm not going to do that. You'll be thankful. I'm not going to preach that many times. He preached through Psalm 119, which is, of course, a long chapter, longest chapter in the Bible, 190 times. Needless to say, he was very thorough. I fear that I would say the same things over and over again, so I'm not going to preach that many times on it. But we're going to spend a little time here in Hebrews 11 over the next month. Um, But here is a paraphrase of the first paragraph of the opening sermon. Uh, In the the close, here's what he says. This is a paraphrase because the language is a little dated. But Thomas Manton says, In the close of the former chapter, the apostle had spoken of living by faith and then takes occasion to show what faith is. He that would live by faith needs to investigate the nature of it. An unknown instrument is of little use. I love that. An unknown instrument, the instrument of faith, is of little use if we don't know 
what the nature of it is. It is true a man may exercise faith who cannot describe it in words, just like an infant may live but does not know what life is. But it is more comfortable when our thoughts are distinct, explicit, and clear concerning the nature of our faith and other necessary graces. And the Christian life is much more orderly and less random. So learning about faith is important for us. What is faith? He begins here in verse 1 and says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He's not telling us everything there is needed to know about faith here in in verse 1 or in this chapter for that matter. He's concerned about the context uh, in which he's writing. These people who were struggling to keep the faith. They were struggling with, they were tempted to apostatize, to turn away from Christ. So he's focusing mostly on the future, the future promises of God and trusting in those promises and enduring to the end to get to those promised things. So he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith takes things that are hoped for in this case, the promises of God for the future. Faith takes those things that are hoped for and makes them sure to a person. Faith gives the person conviction about things that they cannot see. We can't see the future. We have no idea what it holds. We know what God has promised about the future pertaining to an eternal inheritance, pertaining to the new heavens and new earth, pertaining to the end of sin and evil living with the Lord forever, being in His presence in the new Jerusalem, all those things we don't see now, they've been promised to us. But faith brings them into our lives in the here and now, brings us assurance about those things, a conviction of things that we cannot see. He does look back into the past and talks about creation here. We weren't there at creation, we didn't see creation, but it's by faith that we believe that God spoke the universe into existence. It, it, it is a conviction of something that we cannot see. So faith takes those things hoped for and makes them sure to a person, gives them a conviction about things that they can't see. Well, faith has an object, of course. Faith always has to have an object. You have to believe in something. The writer of Hebrews here is encouraging them to keep trusting in God's Word, God's Word. Not just anything, but God's Word, and particularly the promises of God for the future of His people, as I mentioned. And they had already exhibited this kind of faith. You remember last week we looked at chapter 10, verse 32. He's helping them to recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. Imagine that in the past. They, they were Christians, and, and they were publicly mocked and were afflicted by people that hated Christians. And they were sometimes partners with those so treated, people who had been thrown in prison, for example, You had compassion on those in prison. And then, of course, if you go see a Christian in prison, 
you care about the Christian in prison. Everybody sees that, oh, you must be a Christian too. And so there, you're going to get punished as well. But they went and visited people in prison as Jesus commanded them, Matthew 25. You had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. She noticed two things there. The better possession and abiding one refers to God's promises for the future of his people. The, the writer of Hebrews has mentioned this throughout the book. Uh, he uses terms like entering his rest, the promised rest, chapter 6, or in verse 9, the eternal inheritance. See, these people had heard about God's promise of a better and abiding possession, a better and abiding inheritance, something beyond this world, and they believed it. They, they believed it so much that they joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Notice the word new in verse 34. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things unseen. And there it is. You knew that you had a better and abiding inheritance, a better and abiding possession. They knew it. Faith had made it so real to them that they were willing to let go of their property. They were willing to lose it all for Christ, to be faithful to Christ. That's faith in action. But now, these poor people were growing weary of the grind of the Christian life, and they were close to giving up. They were losing faith. I mean, you can stand strong for a while, but when you continuously get hammered and persecuted and mocked and, and undermined in your life, it's easy to start thinking, is this really worth it? And that's where they were. They were close to giving up. They were losing faith. Their faith was not enduring through the difficult circumstances they were experiencing. So the writer encourages them with the examples of those who had gone before them in the faith. The, the Noahs and Abrahams and Moses. Men and women who, had difficult, who faced difficult circumstances who kept trusting in God and in his promises. Perhaps today you're facing difficult circumstances. All kinds of problems in the world. All kinds of problems in our lives. I think everybody, everybody, I don't know if anybody's an exception, everybody's got problems. And, and everybody thinks nobody else has as bad of problems as they have. But the truth of the matter is, and you can ask, we've got a lot of, like I said, we've got a lot of pastors here. You can ask them because they hear the stories. They counsel the folk. And they hear all the broken hearts and the, the pain and the suffering that goes on in the lives of everybody to some degree or another. Well, hopefully as we look through in the coming weeks this chapter, it will be an encouragement to you 
who are going through difficulties and you find your faith wavering and you wonder, where is God in all of this? Well, F.F. Bruce says this. I love what he says here. The writer of Hebrews points out that in the Old Testament times there were many men and women who had nothing but the promises of God to rest upon without any visible evidence that these promises would ever be fulfilled. Yet so much did these promises mean to them that they regulated the whole course of their lives in their light. The promises related to a state of affairs belonging to the future. But these people acted as if the state of affairs were already present. So convinced were they that God could and would fulfill what he had promised. In other words, they were men and women of faith. Their faith, listen to this, their faith consisted simply in taking God at his word and directing their lives accordingly. That's what it means to live by faith, to take God at his word and to direct your life accordingly. Things yet future, so far as their experience went, were thus present to faith, and things outwardly unseen were visible to the inward eye. Think about that for a moment, that sentence. Their faith consisted simply in taking God at his word and directing their lives accordingly. What would your life look like if you took God at his word, verse by verse, and lived your life accordingly? You started in Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, probably most of you, well, I assume everybody believes that because you're in church. But, you know, that doesn't give you a lot of information. You need more information than that. Of course, that's a great place to start. Francis Schaeffer said something to the effect that if he could convince someone that God created everything, he had them. You know, he could convince you of everything else. So that's a great place to start, that God created the world as opposed to an impersonal creation or an impersonal eternal. You know, there's only really two options here when it comes to creation. You, got, you can believe that matter is eternal, that there's always been something or you can believe that God created, God or some God or God's created everything. And that's really the only two viable options. Both have to be taken on faith because you can't prove that matter is eternal any more than you can prove what, how God created everything. We just take God at his word and how he told us it all happened. See, if we... If, if we live, if we think about that verse that God created everything and we live accordingly, it's going to make a difference. If, if, the, if the world is just randomly, randomly spraying into being, this matter just formed and here we are, then there's no ground for any morals, there's no ground for any purpose or reason to anything. It's all senseless and pointless. We're just an accident. But if there's a personal God who created everything and we can read about the purposes that he has for his world and we live our lives in light of that, it makes a huge difference in the way we think about things. Everything. It all changes, you see. That's faith. We, we, don't, we weren't there to see it, but we believe God's word about it. It makes a difference in how we think about things, our lives, our world, and the purposes God has for it. So living by faith, 
That's important for us. If we want to endure, we've got to continue to trust God and his word. Now, we don't even get to the conclusion of of what he's saying here until chapter 12. And I want to focus on that a bit because this puts it in context. So he says, we're not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who live by faith. And then he gives us all these examples of faith. He gives us Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and, and Moses and so forth and so on. And then chapter 12, he says, this is the conclusion of the matter, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. See? What was their sin that they were struggling with? It was denying Christ, apostasy. It was giving up on the Christian life altogether. And he's showing them, look, your forefathers lived by faith. They didn't see the promises. If you look at Abel, his life was cut short unjustly. Enoch was taken up into heaven. He lived a relatively short time in those days. Even if you die and have a short life, faith is rewarded. You're commended for your faith and your actions speak beyond you like Abel's did. So he's saying, look, the people went before you and they inherited the promises or they will inherit the promises fully. So be encouraged. Lay aside your sin and run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. See, they had a threat to their faith. They had been faithful in the past, but circumstances and their feelings get in the way. You know, if life was easy, it would be great. It would be easy to be faithful. I don't know, maybe not, because ease is sometimes more difficult to be faithful than trouble because we think we can do it on our own. But our circumstances and feelings get in the way. These people were, well, they were facing death for their faith. And, you know, you can stand that for a while, but then it just becomes wearisome in their feelings, and they want to shrink back and preserve themselves. See, they're trading something better and abiding for something that's just a substitute and is temporary. They thought by shrinking back that they were gaining safety, that, that they were gaining security, but it was only a substitute security. It was only a, a substitute safety because it didn't last very long. They're still going to die. Then they're going to face judgment, and it's going to be worse. See, they've traded the real thing for a counterfeit. And the same is true for us. You know, what is the, what is the weight and the sin that clings so closely to us and causes us not to run with endurance the race that is before us? Well, it's always going to be something that is a substitute and is temporary. Something that's not better and something that is not abiding. You know, we have the stress of our lives, face difficulties. 
We just want to escape and we want to have some peace. We want to have some comfort and joy and happiness. Perhaps we turn to the bottle. Perhaps we turn to a substance to give us a substitute joy, a temporary joy. It doesn't last long. You know, when you've had a few and you're feeling good, it's great. Yeah, you can be joyful and happy until the morning. Then you just got a headache and you still have the same problems you had before. So see, it's a substitute and temporary. The Lord always promises something better and abiding. It doesn't mean we won't suffer or won't have difficulty because that's what was going on here. If you follow Jesus, you're going to face persecution. But ultimately, you're going to experience something better and something that lasts forever. The eternal weight of glory outweighs the light and momentary afflictions of this life that we will face. But see, in the moment, we, we look for a substitute that can give us quick joy, quick pleasure, quick comfort, quick security, all these things, and then it's just temporary. It's not lasting. But what the Lord has promised us and what we need to put our faith in is that whatever Jesus tells us to do, whatever the Lord tells us to do, that's always going to be better and it's always going to be abiding. So when you come to that temptation that you trip over time and time again, think, you know, the Lord doesn't want me to do this. And, and what I need to trust here is that he knows best. And whatever he is promising me and whatever he is telling me to do is going to be better and it's going to be lasting than the thing that I want to do. But we want to be self-sovereign. We want to call the shots in our lives. We don't want to submit to God and his word. Tim Keller says, The God of the Bible is not only totally holy, but totally gracious. Not only does he demand we submit to his will but he tells us we are incapable of it and will have to rely completely on his grace. In other words, there is no way to confront the true God and retain a scrap or shred of self-sovereignty. We have no rights before a God like that. He is so wonderful to us and he has done so much for us that there is nothing he cannot ask of us. And that is what the natural unredeemed human heart cannot stand. We cannot stand anything that threatens our self-sovereignty. What, what if we submitted to the Lord in everything? Well, we'd be perfect, <laughs> wouldn't we? But we're not going to get there. We're going to struggle. You know, it's always going to be a struggle. But that's what God gives us His grace. That's what we've been singing about, that the Lord will be with us. He'll help us. He sends the preacher to you and tells you to, here's what the Bible says, the promises of God, and you need to react accordingly to those truths, to that. Put your faith in it and not just try to be self-sovereign because that's a substitute for God. You're substituting yourself for God, and it won't last. It won't last at all. So I come to you this morning, and I want to encourage you this enduring faith is one that takes God at his word and, and works out the implications of that for life. What would it look like if I truly believed this promise of God? What would it look like if I 
trusted in that what Jesus has for me is better than what I would have for myself. That would be transforming, of course. It would be transforming. So take those things to heart and, and put your trust in the Lord and whatever he has for you will be better and abiding. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the writer of Hebrews and how you worked in him to give us this good word that encourages us. Lord, we all face so many problems and difficulties and we think they're insurmountable, but Lord, you encourage us to come to you, to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Lord, that's where the grace is found in Christ, who loved us so much he died for us. And so, Lord, we we just thank you that you sent your son to die for us, that we might be able to have a relationship with you. Lord, forgive us for how far we fall short in trusting you. Help us to trust you more. Help us to be the people who fully trust you and who look at your word diligently, searching it, searching it out, that we might take it and apply it into our lives and find what is better in abiding, to taste and see that the Lord is good. But Lord, we want to taste something else all the time. Forgive us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.